Welcome to the podcast of Dr. Jeff R. Steele. Dr. Steele is the senior pastor of Redeeming Grace Church of Coleman, Alabama. He's a conference speaker, owner of the Christian music group The Steels, and an award-winning singer and songwriter. Now, here's Dr. Steele. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 16. Out beside verse number 16 of Matthew chapter 6, I want you to write the word publicize. Publicize out beside verse 16. Jesus speaks and he says, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites who have a sad countenance or a sad look on their face. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men that they are fasting. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Jesus actually makes a pretty strong accusation here against these hypocritical Pharisees and scribes. He says they disfigure their faces so that they may appear unto men to fast. In other words, he basically says he doesn't believe they are fasting. He simply believes they're making it appear unto other people that they are fasting. Their philosophy was what good is suffering? What good is fasting? What good is self-denial if nobody knows about it? You've been around people that go to the gym to work out. There's signs all over the gym. They wear shirts that say, no pain, no gain. Well, their philosophy was, if you can get the credit without working for it, isn't that the best way to go? Well, that's not the best way to go, and Jesus says so, but that was their basic philosophy. We need to understand tonight that fasting is about self-denial. It's about putting down your flesh. It's about knowing something and feeling something that your flesh really wants in a bad way. And because you want to grow spiritually and prove your commitment to God, you say to that fleshly desire, no, I will not succumb to that. As a matter of fact, I remember when I was in school, I had a question on a test. It simply said, define fasting. And I remember putting in the blank, eating quicker. That's what I thought it meant. I, I was wrong. Now understand what Jesus says here. These people, he said, would actually alter their appearance to make it appear to everybody else that they were going through this process of self-denial when they really weren't. They had an art of taking ashes from a fire, spreading those ashes on their faces. You've seen these kids in these pictures from these foreign lands where they're starving to death and their eyes literally sink into their heads. Well, these guys had mastered the art of taking those ashes, spreading them on their face to make it appear that their eyes were sinking into the back of their head to make it appear like not only were they fasting, they were withholding themselves from food for a certain amount of time. Not only did it look like they were fasting, it looked like they'd been fasting longer than anybody else. It looked like they had been denying themselves for an extra long time and that they were really suffering because of that. 
We still have some of that that goes on today. For instance, Hollywood actors, if they need to gain or appear to look as though they've gained five to 10 pounds for a movie role and they don't want to put the weight on, the trick they use, and if you like Chinese food and if you like Japanese food, you need to listen close. The trick they use is that they will, for a period of about three or four days, eat foods that have a high content of soy sauce. Because if you eat enough soy sauce in a short amount of time, it will make your body puff up and appear that you've gained weight. You may not actually gain but a pound or two, but it'll look like you've gained five or 10 pounds. In other words, they change their appearance to make themselves look heavier than they are. I remember when I was a little, a little boy going to elementary school, there was nothing we liked better than missing a day of school. And the rumor made it around the school, and all of us little boys heard it. The rumor made it around the school, this is the absolute truth, that if you'd take a bar of soap and put it under this arm, and you'd take a bar of soap and put it under this arm, and then go to sleep, and sleep that way all night. The rumor was that when you woke up in the morning, your temperature would be a degree or two hotter than it was when you went to bed the night before. You wouldn't be sick, just the soap under your arm all night long, which probably did produce some good effects for little boys, it would make your temperature go up a degree or two by the thermometer. So your mom and dad would see that and they'd think, well, he's sick. We got to keep him home. And uh, you'd sit there and watch the prices right and, and all those soap operas and wonder why in the world you didn't go to school because there's absolutely nothing on TV. But we used to do that, try to fool our moms and dads into thinking we were sick. Then we heard that if you'd take a thermometer, your mom and dad give you a thermometer, send you into the bedroom, take your temperature. If you'd rub that thermometer real briskly between your hands, that that also would send your temperature up a degree or two. Your mom and dad would think you were sick and keep you home from school. Well, your intelligent pastor determined if rubbing a thermometer between your hands for two minutes make your temperature go up a degree or two, then if you'd hold that thing over a floor furnace like we had in our house, that it ought to send it really up and then it might not keep you home from school. It might put you in the hospital. You can miss a whole week like that. Well, the one thing I didn't plan on was, do you know what happens when a thermometer gets too hot? It breaks in half. So I'm standing there with half a thermometer in my hand, half a thermometer down in that floor furnace where I was trying to warm it up. And now I got mom and daddy who gave me the thermometer to take my temperature to start with hollering from another room saying, come here, we want to take your temperature. So I find out what it is. I got a half a thermometer. So my mother says, what happened to the other half of the thermometer? I said, I swallowed it. So now I got a mother standing there with a look on her face halfway between she thinks I'm about to die because I just swallowed a thermometer full of mercury down my throat and a mama who's trying to find the number to the poison control center to see if she can still make me live. I was doing all that to try to convince my parents that I was sick when I really was not sick. That's what these guys were doing with their fasting. They were trying to convince people that they really fasted when they really didn't. Now, I want to read you a couple of verses of Scripture. You don't have to turn. I'll just read them to you from Genesis chapter 3 verses 6 and 7. And when the woman, Eve, 
saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons or coverings or there in the Garden of Eden, masks. What does a mask do? A mask, when you put it on, it hides you from other people. It keeps them from seeing what it is about you that you don't want them to see. And I submit to you tonight that since the Garden of Eden, we have been repeatedly coming to church with our masks on that hide what we don't want other people to see from their sight. And we come to church on Sunday and we've got a church full of people who are all wearing their masks. What's the problem with that, Brother Jeff? Because I don't believe you can actually worship God if you're dishonest in how you present yourself to your fellow church members if you come to church with the intent of fooling the people you worship with into a believing that you've done things that make you more spiritual than you are or b making them believe that you haven't done things that would make you less spiritual than you'd like for them to believe that's what these guys were doing when they bragged on how much they had fasted and how much they had denied themselves and how much they had sacrificed, they were in effect putting on a mask that would not allow people to see them as they really were. My daddy used to tell me, if a man's got a million dollars, you'll never hear about it from him. He doesn't want you to change the way you treat him. He doesn't want you to come around and start begging for his money. He doesn't want you to report him to the Internal Revenue Service. If a man's got a million dollars, you'll never hear about it from him. And that also proves true, I think, the fact that people that are always bragging about how much they have, always bragging about all the things they've done, they probably don't have it and they probably never have done it. So keep it to yourself. You don't have to broadcast these kind of things publicly. Now, look at verse 17 and 18, and out in the margin of your Bible, write this word, privatize. Jesus says, but thou, when you fast. Now, I want to take you back. We've studied previously when Jesus taught us about praying, he said, when you pray. When he taught us about giving, he said, when you give. He doesn't make it an option. He doesn't say if you pray. He doesn't say if you give. He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you do it. He assumes that as a part of your Christian experience and walk with God that you're going to fast, you're going to pray, and you're going to give. So what does Jesus tell us to do in contrast to these hypocrites who were marking up their faces and disfiguring their faces and making it appear to everybody that they were doing something they really weren't doing made them look more spiritual in public. What does he tell us to do? Look, he says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face 
so that you don't, don't appear unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. What does that mean, Jeff? Anoint your head, wash your face. You want it in a nutshell? Jesus says, when you fast, assuming that you would go through periods of self-denial where you would win the battle and the victory over your flesh, when you would purposefully say to the desires of your flesh, no. Jesus says, when you do it, when you fast, in contrast to these fellows who disfigured their faces and made themselves look a mess so that it would appear to other people that they were really after this self-denial thing, Jesus said, when you do it, Take a shower. Wash your face. Use deodorant under both arms. Put on some cologne. Get the spray kind so you can just douse yourself in it. Put on a new suit of clothes, and when you go out in public, let's make it a contest, Jesus said. Let's try to fool everybody. Let's make it so nobody could ever guess that you were in the process of fasting because listen it doesn't matter how horrible you look and you're not going to fool God put on all the cologne you want to put on all the deodorant you want to take as many showers as you want to and wear your best clothes God still knows you're fasting whether anybody else does or not and he's the only one that matters so the word you need to write out there is privatize out beside verses 17 and 18 privatize these other fellows wanted to publicize Jesus gives us the advice that we ought to privatize our fasting many times many of us have done the right thing for the wrong reasons and lost our heavenly reward because of it the modern day example of that might be this when Sunday comes and we get all dressed up. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with getting dressed up to come to church unless you're doing it to outdress somebody else, to call attention to yourself, or to look in your mind before other people like you're more spiritual than you are because you've dressed as good as you have. When we do that, there's nothing wrong with dressing up to come to church, but when we get into the area of trying to outdress, impress others, make ourselves look more spiritual by the way we dress, we have done the right thing for the wrong reason and lost any hope of a heavenly reward. Jesus said it. He said they have their reward. They better enjoy it. It's all they're ever going to get. So the first word is publicized. The second word is privatized. Now look at verse number 19. And out of the margin of your Bible, by verse number 19, I want you to write the word prevent 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 means to stop something from happening prevent means to hold something back and why do I put the word prevent out in the margin of your Bible because listen what it says lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth prevent yourself from laying up treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal now the issue here is not that earthly things are intrinsically bad. But listen, they are of no lasting value either. To lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
is to doom yourself to a life of frustration and emptiness. The secret to happiness is not more. The secret to happiness is contentment. Several Wednesday nights ago, I brought you a message on God's idea of wealth. And we talked about the world's idea of wealth. And then when we got to God's idea of wealth, if you remember, you're going to remember, remember that I said God's idea of wealth is that you and I would have an ever greater ability to be thankful for what we already have. That's God's idea of wealth. Contentment, not more, but to be content with whatever we have. Back in 1992, there was a magazine that did a survey. And they asked people of all differing socioeconomic backgrounds, how much money do you think you'd have to make to be able to afford the American dream? They asked people with an average income of $25,000 how much money they thought they would have to have to afford the American dream. On average, their answer came back like this. All those people that made an average of $25,000 a year, they said, we believe we'd have to have $54,000 a year to afford a good life in the American dream. Then they asked people who made an average of $100,000 a year, how much they would have to have to be able to have a good life or to afford the American dream. The people who made an average of $100,000 a year reported back on average, they thought they'd have to have $195,000 to have a good life. The way the survey broke down, it became obvious that everybody, regardless of what socioeconomic background they came from, everybody thought they'd have to have twice as much money as what they had to be happy. You see the treadmill that puts you on. When you start to think about money and everything in terms of money, it causes you to think about things you never thought about before. I think Paul was right in 1 Timothy 6, 6 when he said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Earthly treasures, the kind of thing Jesus warned us to prevent ourselves from laying up, it's temporary. It doesn't last. As a matter of fact, even our lives on this earth are temporary. James said, life is like a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. So prevent yourself from laying up treasures on this earth. Now let's look at verse 20. But he says, in contrast to the people who are laying up treasures on this earth, he said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Out beside verse 20 in the margin of your Bible, I'd like you to write the word procure, procure, P-R-O-C-U-R-E. I said to myself when I developed that word for this verse, I said, the good people of Coleman and Vinemont, Alabama, may not be familiar with that word. Not that you're stupid, but I really wasn't very familiar with it either. I don't use that word in everyday language. So here's what the dictionary says for the word procure. To get by special effort, to obtain or to acquire. So Jesus says, in contrast to the people who are laying up treasures on this earth, we ought to use a special effort to obtain or acquire 
treasures in heaven. Where in contrast to those treasures that are temporary, even life being one of them, heavenly treasure is eternal. You not only get joy now because there's joy even in giving. When you come to God's house and you give through the offering plates of the church house, that makes you feel good. That brings you joy when you give. But you're also going to get joy later because you're laying all this up for an eternity somewhere and God's keeping it safe for you. You've heard it and I know you have. People say all the time, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And that's the truth. Groucho Marx of yesteryear used to say with a cigar hanging out of one side of his mouth and his fingers flipping up like that. Somebody told him he couldn't take it with him and Groucho said, well then, I just won't go. But he did. The truth is you cannot keep what you earn and invest here. On this earth, gold is a precious commodity, but think about it. In heaven, God uses it to pave the street. We're going to walk on gold when we get to heaven. Now, follow me here. In Luke chapter 16, no need to turn. I'm not even going to turn. I'm just going to tell you what it says. In the first 14 verses of Luke chapter 16, Jesus gives us a parable about a dishonest manager who gets the word that the big boss from the home office is coming down to his place with the express purpose of firing him. So this guy, knowing the big boss from the home office is coming, knowing his purpose is to fire him, let, let him go from his job, he starts to settle all the debts that his boss had around with his debtors. I mean, the people that owed him money. He started to settle all those accounts in favor of the people that owed the money. He cut everybody that owed the boss a good deal. Why did he do that? Well, because he knew he was fixing to get fired. He thought one of them might hire him or that they would treat him extra special good when he got the ax. Then he waited for the boss in the home office to get there. Knowing he'd done this, knowing he was already going to get fired, and knowing he just whittled the boss's money away, by giving to people that owed the boss money. But instead of getting on to him when the boss got there, he praised this guy for his shrewdness in business. Now you might say, and it'd be a good question, wait a minute, he cheated the boss out of his money, cut all these people that owed the boss money good deals on his behalf so he could be in good with them when he got fired. What was there to praise this guy for? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, he knew he was going to be called to give an account for his life, and he took it seriously, and he got ready. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 that one day every one of us is going to give an account for what we've done in this life. I mean, he's coming from the home office, and we're going to have to answer for what we've done. The Bible says whether it be good or or bad. Every one of us is going to give an account and like this guy, we better take it seriously because it's going to happen. We better get ready now because after you're dead, you don't have an opportunity to get ready. You don't have an opportunity to do anything. Right now, you need to take seriously the fact that an accounting is coming and you're the one that's going to give an account. Number two, 
this dishonest manager, he took advantage of his present position and condition to arrange for a nice future. While he was still able to do something about it, he did something about it. You and I may not agree with what he did. I'm sure that ultimately the big boss in the home office didn't agree with what he did, but this guy took advantage of where he was and what he had to arrange for his future. Well, you and I can take our resources right now, right here while we're living, and we can make investments in heaven. Right now, we can do eternal good with our resources at this moment. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And while the stuff won't transfer, the good that it does will transfer to your benefit in the life to come in heaven. Right now, today, we don't have to wait and see what we're going to do about it when we get there. Listen, folks, the Bible says that there are rewards in heaven for our good works here on earth. This dishonest manager, he may have been as crooked as a snake, but he understood the principle behind doing what you can with what you have now to plan for your own future. He also understood the principle of the fact that he was going to be called into account. He took it seriously and he did something about it right then. Now look at verse 21 and we're through. Out beside verse 21 in your Bible, I want you to write the word prize. P-R-I-Z-E. Because what does the word say? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is not stupid when he says this. He understands that every man and every woman is going to make time for what's really important to them. Every church member who says, I'm too busy to come on Wednesday night. He, Jesus understands what we really want to do, we find a way to do. What we really want, we go after with all of our hearts. Because what we really treasure, really treasure, not what we say we treasure, but what we really treasure, We'll finance it. We'll take a day off to go. I've watched people, their kids get sick with some disease that none of us could pronounce. And the doctor would say, it'll cost $100,000 over and above your insurance for the operation your child needs. And you know what mom and daddy do? Though they don't have it, don't make it, and on paper can't get it, they get it. I mean, you'll see little bottles beside cash registers in convenience stores. They'll do whatever they have to do. If they have to beg, if they have to work like dogs, if they have to do things they said they would never do to get it, they'll get it. Why? Because that child is the prize of their heart. I close with this question tonight. 
when is the church going to become the prize and the treasure of our hearts? When are we going to say, we can't take those days off there and go somewhere because we're going to miss the meeting at church? It seems to be of no consequence to us when we miss the meeting at church to take those days off and go to that place. I'm not fussing tonight. I'm just asking a question. When is the church going to become our treasure? Because where our treasure is, what's really important to us, what we prize the most, our heart will be there too. You know, it's a funny thing. Everywhere I am physically, my heart's there too. If I was standing here and my heart was down at Coleman Regional getting ready to be implanted in somebody else's body, I, I, I couldn't be here. That's how important my heart is to me. When is the church going to become our treasure? Now, it's easy to say, oh, we want revival. We want growth. We want people to be saved. Then when is the church going to become our treasure? If it's not our treasure, if it's not where our heart is, if it's not the thing that we're most willing to sacrifice for, how in the name of Almighty God do we expect somebody to walk in off the street with a syringe sticking out of their arm and say, I believe this is where I want to invest my treasure? They'll invest in what you invest in. If you invest in something other or in addition to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've lost them because your credibility's gone. When is the church going to become our treasure? If you'd like to contact Dr. Steele, you can go to his website at jeffrsteel.com. If you'd be interested in Dr. Steele coming to speak or having the Steels minister at your next event, there's a booking inquiry form there. You may also call the office at 256-590-2068.